Welcome everyone to this week's edition of Fair Territory. We've got a special show in store for you today. A little bit of a different kind of start to the show. We've actually got a theme. Yes, an overriding theme to the playoffs that involve teams and that involves the players that they've selected. That they've chosen over the years, mostly in free agency. And the reason I'm doing this at this particular time is because the two teams leading their respective league championship series, and I know it's not over yet, the two teams leading are two teams that pick the right guys. I'm talking about the Phillies, and I'm talking about the Rangers. Now, you can also include the Astros in this. They've been mostly extending players of their own over the years, not particularly participating in free agency, but they have made great choices. They've got a big payroll, but I really want to focus on the Phillies and Rangers because these are teams, unlike the Mets, unlike the Yankees, unlike the Padres, unlike these big money teams that flopped this year, these are teams that have succeeded because of the players that they chose. And I want to start off talking today about really the guy who has become our generation's Mr. October. And I'm talking about Bryce Harper. And while on the bus last night from Houston to Dallas, yes, Fox, we took a big party bus and we had a blast. While on the bus, I kind of looked at some comparisons. And I want to start here with Bryce Harper and how he compares to two, I would call them legends of the game, Reggie Jackson and Babe Ruth. Let's start with Bryce. These are Bryce's career postseason statistics. They're incredible. 43 games, slash line, 292 batting average, 352 on base, 652 slug, 15 home runs in 161 at-bats. You prorate that over 640 at-bats which is basically a regular season, a 162-game season, that's a 60-home run pace. All right, that's Bryce Harper in the postseason. Here's Babe Ruth. Now, the qualifier with the Babe, of course, is that he played only in the World Series. There were no expanded playoffs back then. Played in 41 games, a comparable number to Bryce Harper. Even better slash line, 326 batting, 470 on base, 744 slug, 15 home runs in 129 at-bats. Now, those numbers are, I would say, better than Bryce's, but Bryce is at least in the same conversation. And here's Reggie Jackson, played in the most postseason games by far of any of these three players. 278, 358, 527 in his slash line, 18 home runs in 281 at-bats. Again, the point is not to say Bryce Harper is a better player in the postseason than Reggie Jackson or Babe Ruth. All I'm saying is that his statistics are relatively comparable. The Phillies gave him 13 years, $330 million. And at the time, I remember writing, all he wanted to do was beat Giancarlo Stanton, $325 million, and he's taken this deal, and he's taken a low AAV, and you know what? I was wrong. Bryce said at the time he wanted to be in Philly. He has proven to be an amazing Philadelphia Philly, and he is not alone. This team invested in Kyle Schwarber. Yes. This team invested in Nick Castellanos. Yes, again. And let's look at Zach Wheeler, who has been their game one starter four times in the past two seasons. And as Jason Stark wrote today in his Weird and Wild column in The Athletic, he's got some of the best game one numbers in Major League history for a guy with four or more game one starts. Here is Zach Wheeler's postseason career. This is a guy who signed a five-year, $118 million contract that expires after next season. 2.63 ERA in 54 and two-thirds innings. That's pretty good. 
Opponent's slash line, 156 batting average, 206 on base, 240 slug. And his whip, that's walks and hits per inning pitch, it's .7, 0.7. That's the lowest in any nine-start span in postseason history. That stat comes from the great Sarah Langs. That's amazing performance. Now, we go over to the Texas Rangers. We start with Corey Seager, who is a hitting robot, 325 million. Marcus Simeon, one of the great durable character players in our game and a pretty good hitter himself and fielder, 175 million. And the guy on the mound yesterday, the guy who escaped a bases loaded, none out jam in the fifth inning and put together another brilliant postseason performance. Yes, I'm talking about Nathan Ivaldi. Nathan Ivaldi was out with right forearm tightness for a time in August, came back in early September without a rehab assignment. First start against the Houston Astros at Globe Life gets rocked. Didn't pitch all that consistently in September, but here we are in October, and here we go again with Mr. Evaldi. Let's look at his postseason numbers because they too, like Wheelers, are impressive. Nathan Evaldi on a two-year, $34 million free agent deal, nine starts in the postseason for his career, 2.87 ERA in 62 and two-thirds innings. That's pretty darn good. Opponent's slash line, well, it's not as good as Wheeler's, but it's pretty good. 211, 240, 304. This is impressive postseason performance. This is what you want when you pay players big money. Nathan Evaldi is not in Simeon's category and Seager's category as far as the financials. And yes, I know the Rangers paid Jacob deGrom $185 million and he had Tommy John surgery almost immediately. No team is perfect in free agency. In fact, it's probably more common to be wrong in free agency than it is to be right, to get not as much value out of those contracts as you really should. That's okay. That's what happens. But these two teams have demonstrated that you can spend big in free agency and you can do rather well. Now, I am covering the ALCS for Fox, and we shift now to Arlington. And what's odd about this series is that the Astros all season long have not been a good home team. They are now 40 and 45 at home, including postseason this year. And on the road, they've been much better. Third best road record in the majors. And at Globe Life, they've been a holy terror. Let's look at their numbers at Globe Life Field. They're incredible this season. They are 6-1 and one at Globe Life. They're averaging nine runs per game. Their slash line, 323, 390, 646. That's an OPS of 1.036. The only player, the only individual player who had a better OPS than the Astros' entire team at Globe Life this year, and this is for the season, is Shohei Otani. What I'm saying is Otani's OPS led the majors this season. The Astros as a team at Globe Life had nearly as good an OPS. That's pretty incredible. So we'll see as the series shifts if the Astros can turn this around. It's going to be rather interesting. Max Scherzer in Game 3 for the Texas Rangers, pitching for the first time in more than five weeks. The Astros are going to counter with Christian Javier. They've got Urquidy lined up for Game 4. The Rangers probably will go with this glorified bullpen game in Game 4. Depends on who pitches behind Scherzer. They could go Heaney and Dunning the same way they did in Game 1 of the DS. Okay, one other major story that broke on Monday... And this was a major story. This was a shocker, almost as big a shocker as when this person was hired. And I'm talking, of course, about the Marlins parting of ways 
with their general manager, Kim Ng. Now, you might remember when the Marlins hired Kim Ng. They sure didn't mind the positive publicity they got for hiring the first female general manager in the game's history. They didn't mind all the press. They didn't mind being labeled as this progressive, great organization. They sort of basked in it. Well, when you bask in that, and then you have this separation with this person who accomplished a great deal with your franchise, then you're going to get ripped when this all falls apart. And it all fell apart. I encourage everyone to read Britt Garoli's story today in The Athletic about Kim Ng's departure and why it happened. She has all the details. Basically, she wrote that Kim Ng felt that she was stripped of power, underappreciated, and that manifested itself in several ways. For one, they did not give her a contract extension. They simply picked up her option for next year, their end of the mutual option. She declined. Why did she decline? Well, in part because she didn't get an extension, in part because they wanted to bring in a president of baseball operations over her, and in part because she didn't have control of the personnel. She wanted to make some changes in certain departments. She wanted to get rid of some holdovers, people she felt were holding the organization back. And Bruce Sherman, the owner, evidently said no. So here's Kim Ng. What did she do as Marlins general manager? One, she hired the likely manager of the year in the National League, or at least the leading candidate for manager of the year, Skip Schumacher. She made the Arias trade, getting Luis Arias for Pablo Lopez. And you can certainly say, hey, I'd rather have the starting pitcher. But Arias helped change that franchise's offensive identity. The Solaire signing was a really good one. She built a bullpen. This one-run game record that they had last season in 2022 that was so horrible, they turned it around into a great one-run record in 2023. And to top it all off, what was the final outcome of all that Kim Ang did? The Marlins making their first playoff appearance, albeit an expanded format, for the first time in a full season. The first time in a full season since they won the 2003 World Series. For all that, Kim Ang is out. Bruce Sherman couldn't figure out how to keep her. We will have more on Bruce Sherman when we get to the dork of the week. Time now for the inside dish. This is the part of the show where I go inside a story I've written or maybe inside a story going on in the game. Or maybe I do a reflection on something that happened on this day in 1989. We are sitting here taping in Arlington on October 17th, 2023. And 34 years ago, I was sitting in the press box at the old Candlestick Park in San Francisco when the place started shaking. 34 years ago, the San Francisco earthquake right before Game 3 of the World Series. Now, I'm from the East Coast. I had not been to the West Coast very much in my life at that point. But the moment the press box started swaying and it was swaying, I knew exactly what it was. I knew it was an earthquake. It was a hot day in San Francisco. People would later say it was earthquake weather. And when the moment happened, when the earthquake just started and rumbled for quite a few seconds, the crowd cheered. The crowd thought, hey, this is pretty cool. Good omen for the Giants. They're down 2 nothing in the series. Ha, 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 ha. Well, no one was laughing when we actually learned what had happened. In that earthquake, a 6.9 earthquake, by the Richter scale, 63 people ended up dying. Nearly 4,000 were injured. Part of the Bay Bridge collapsed. There was no power 
in San Francisco, the Bay Area, for days. There was no water. It was a chaotic scene at the stadium initially. I remember we went down to the field to try to talk to players. They were on the field. They were not in the clubhouse, but pretty much everyone scattered quickly. I had a rental car. I believe I was staying in Oakland. Got in the rental car. Didn't know where I was going, mind you. And there was a massive traffic jam. There was just no movement. Remember, part of the Bay Bridge had collapsed that was not so far away, and the roads were kind of a mess. Things were just happening. So I walked back to the stadium, kind of not knowing what to do. At the time, I am 27 years old. I'm still a beat writer at the Baltimore Evening Sun. And I found, as I walked back toward the stadium, three writers coming out, two who were from San Francisco. It was Bruce Jenkins, who is still a legend at the San Francisco Chronicle, Joan Ryan, who had an amazing career of her own, and they were with the great Thomas Boswell of the Washington Post. And I believe it was Bruce who said, hey, hop in my car. We're going back to the Chronicle. We're going to write there. They have generators for power. You can write there. You can hang out there with us. Now, they didn't hardly even know me. I was basically a kid in the business, but that was an act of kindness by Bruce I will never forget. And I did go back with them to the San Francisco Chronicle where they did have power lights by generators. It was dark in there, but I found a place on the floor and started writing. And I wrote my stories. And remember, this was an era well before cell phones. I could not call anyone. In fact, when the earthquake had happened, I jumped on a landline immediately, called my then fiance. I was two months away from getting married told her I was okay. I don't know how the call got through, but it did. But back at the Chronicle, they had phones that were working, landlines, so I was able to dictate the stories that I wrote, two or three of them that night. A lot had happened. And it was just a crazy scene. Now, after I was done writing, and God knows what hour it was at that point, I worked for an evening newspaper so I could write all night. And the people at the San Francisco Chronicle, God bless them, they put out a paper the next day. It was a miracle. I went back to my hotel, but I couldn't get to my room because the elevators weren't working, the doors weren't open, it was just a mess there. So I found a friend of mine from college who was living with his fiance at the time. They let me stay at their place for one night. Then after that, a relative of my wife's who lived in San Francisco, they put me up for a while. I couldn't get back into the hotel for, I don't know, maybe it was a week. So in the interim, there were no games. The series was postponed for a bit. No one knew what was going to happen. It was a rough scene in the Bay Area. A tragic event had occurred. So I essentially stayed in the area, stayed with my wife's relatives, and started writing news stories about what had happened in the Marina District, about all the different things that were going on as we waited for play to resume. And I remember maybe a few days into this, it might have been a week for all I know, I can't remember exactly, the commissioner of baseball at the time, Faye Vincent, had a candlelit press conference. Yes, lit by candles at the St. Francis Hotel. He basically said at that press conference, we're not going to cancel the series. There was talk of that. We're not going to relocate the series. There was talk of that. This was the Giants versus the A's, the Bay Area series. He said, we'll resume when it is proper to resume. He called the World Series a modest little event in the grand scheme of things, which it certainly was at the time. And as it turned out, the series did not resume for 12 days. We talk about the layoffs. Oh my gosh, the five-day layoff. 
before the division series, the end of the wild card series, and the effect that might have. The World Series was postponed for 12 days. And it finally resumed. And of course, the A's went on to their sweep. Now, here's the kicker. The series resumed, but I had to go home. And I had to go home because I was the best man in a wedding for one of my friends from college. A wedding that was scheduled around the World Series because everyone knew, well, my friend who was having me in the wedding knew that I would have to go to the World Series. The wedding was scheduled at a date when the World Series was supposed to be over. Well, it got delayed and delayed the 12 days, as I mentioned, and eventually I could not miss my friend's wedding. So I went home, missed games three and four, but I will never forget that experience. These memories are so vivid to me still. Of course, I've had many great times in the Bay Area since, and many fond memories. But that particular time, the earthquake in 1989, 34 years ago, unforgettable. Time now for Dude and Dork of the Week. During the playoffs, there certainly are many candidates for Dude of the Week. We can go with the birthday boy Monday night, Bryce Harper. We've talked about him. We can go with Kyle Schwarber. We can go with Zach Wheeler. We can go with pretty much any member of the Philadelphia Phillies. Jordan Montgomery, Nathan Avaldi. I can go right down the list. But my dude of the week is a kid that most of us had never heard of as of, say, September 1st. His name is Evan Carter. He is the rookie sensation for the Texas Rangers. He has made quite a statement in the playoffs with his plate discipline, with his offensive performance, with his defense, with his base running. This guy was a second-round pick in 2020. kid who wasn't seen a lot in high school, and the Rangers were thrilled to get him. And at the time... The pick was kind of ripped. I remember a lot of people saying, experts, who is this guy? He's not worthy of a second-round pick. The Rangers actually thought he was a first-round talent who had fallen because he had not gotten a lot of exposure, had not played in a lot of showcases, not been out there like some other players might be in that stage of their career. So Evan Carter, for his performance, for all that he has done for the Texas Rangers since coming up, remember, he came up. Because Adolis Garcia was injured in that Houston Massacre series in early September. Well, he's had quite an impact. And if you saw my interview with him on Fox after game one, he is a refreshing personality. I asked him about the pressure. He said, pressure? I'm just having fun. Evan Carter, dude of the week. Dork of the week? Well, I referenced this in the first segment, but I want to come back to it. And I know we have a lot of ownership representatives in dork of the week. And it's because a lot of times ownership representatives deserve Dork of the Week. Now, Bruce Sherman is the owner of the Miami Marlins. And here's what Bruce Sherman has done after each of the team's last two playoff appearances. The first was in 2020. That was in the shortened season. And this one, of course, in 2023. 2020. Playoffs end. Marlins don't win the World Series. Their president of baseball operations, Michael Hill, bids farewell. He's gone. 2023, Marlins make the playoffs. First time in a full season since 2003 when they won the World Series. I mentioned that earlier. And what happens? Marlins part ways with Kim Eng. What is the common denominator here? And, of course, we can throw in Derek Jeter, who did not last with the Marlins under Bruce Sherman either. The common denominator is the owner. The owner who's not keeping competent people, highly qualified people, people who did well for him. They don't want to stay. Bruce Sherman, 
You've got a franchise that is challenged. We know that. It's tough to build an audience in the South Florida market. There are a lot of other things to do in that beautiful weather. And the Marlins have had trouble drawing, trouble doing a lot of things. But my goodness, when you get a competent operator, not just competent, highly skilled, respected, someone who has brought great attention and positive press to your franchise, and she wants to leave, and you run her off, Bruce Sherman, Dork of the Week. All right, everyone, I want you to keep cool during the playoffs by protecting your eyes with a product from our new sponsor, Shady Rays. Shady Rays are an independent sunglasses company that has a world-class product just as good as all the expensive sunglasses out there. They have durable frames, extremely clear optics for any outdoor adventure you might want to embark upon, and what really separates them is the best protection plan in the industry. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they will send you a brand new pair with no questions asked. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, and you probably will, you can exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. You can always know that Shady Rays has your back. Now, Shady Rays are giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code F-O-U-L for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Time now for Grilling Ken. Let's get to your questions. The first one comes from Adam Moss who asks, will the Giants finally land the superstar they desperately need? Good question, Adam. A lot of Giants fans are asking the same question. And of course, there is one superstar available in this year's market. His name is Shohei Otani. I don't see the Giants as a favorite to get Otani. I'm not even sure how they view Otani. I'm sure they'll be in the mix. But if you're the Giants, he might not be in your mind the answer. Now, of course, he's the answer for any team. He'll hit next year. He'll be able to pitch, presumably, in 2025 and beyond. But the Giants kind of need a lot of help. And in free agency, they have not been so successful. Even in trades, remember Giancarlo Stanton rejecting a trade to the Giants? They have not been successful. For whatever reason, it seems to me players, if they're going to go to San Francisco, want to be overpaid. Or they want a real reason because of the state taxes. Maybe some players have political views that are not in line with some of the political views that most San Franciscans have. I don't know the reason exactly. But what I'm getting to is if the Giants want to get a big-time star, it seems to me that because the free agent market is thin, they're going to need to make a trade. And they're going to need to make a trade that is uncomfortable for them because, of course, it would involve some of their top prospects. You make a trade with a player who does not have a no-trade clause, he has to come. He can't leave. And they've got some young talents, so maybe they get someone with some service time remaining before he becomes a free agent. That would be a route that I expect them to explore this offseason. Obviously, they've had some bad luck in the free agent market, too. Correa had agreed to go there. His physical turned up a problem that the Mets also found out later. If I'm the Giants and I'm in a thin free agent market and I'm not the front runner necessarily to get Otani, then I look hard at making a big trade. All right, next question comes from Joe St. Hilaire Bona. He says, you hit the new market inefficiency, going for it and trying to win. Can you please expand on why competitiveness and investment in winning baseball has been replaced with efficiency and value? Joe, I do not have all day. But you hit on something very important here. 
And the Athletics Cody Stavenhagen made this great point the other day about how the Rangers are taking advantage of the new market inefficiency. And the new market inefficiency is going for it. It's trying to win the World Series right now. Not sustainability, not taking five years and trying to make the playoffs every year and seeing if we get lucky. No. Teams like the Rangers and the Phillies are going for it. They've made that very clear with their spending, with their approach, with everything that they've done in recent years. Now, it could bite them long term. It kind of bit the Red Sox in Boston after Dave Dombrowski left. I get it. And maybe the Rangers will have the same kinds of issues that arise. But if you get a World Series out of it, well, kind of is worth it. I think Boston likes the fact that they won the 2018 World Series with Dave Dombrowski as their general manager. I would imagine Texas Ranger fans like what their franchise is doing right now. There's nothing guaranteed for the ALCS still, and certainly nothing guaranteed as far as a World Series victory. But all this talk of sustainability, it drives fans a little nuts. This is an entertainment business. The idea is to win. Next question. It comes from Little Boo Attorney at Law. All right, whatever that means. Why does Verlander's postseason record not get him blasted like others? Uh, here is Justin Verlander's postseason ERA. 3.51 in 220 and a third innings. That's the equivalent of a full season. 3.51 in 220 and a third innings. Now, he has a World Series record that he is not necessarily pleased with. Remember, last year he finally got his first World Series win. The three-homer game with Sandoval going back to the early 2010s, that's something on his record. He had not pitched well necessarily in the World Series. His first World Series, if you go back, was when he was a rookie and exhausted at the end of that season. There are circumstances in play. But if I'm Justin Verlander, I'm pretty proud of my postseason record. I'm pretty proud of the way I pitched in Game 1 of the ALCS at age 40. I'm good. So no, he doesn't deserve to get blasted. All right, the last question, and this one is a doozy. The question is, what are the loudest outdoor and indoor stadiums you have been in during the postseason? Indoor is easy. Metrodome, 1991. Twins, Braves, incredible World Series. And it ended in a big way for the Twins. Actually, 1987 was pretty good too. The Metrodome World Series there. That was against the Cardinals. Seven games, Twins won. So those two, 1987 and 91, the Metrodome was thunderous. Outdoor, I know this might be recency bias, but it's pretty hard to beat Citizens Bank Park right now. Now, I haven't been there this postseason, but I was certainly there quite a bit last postseason, and it was rather deafening. It was loud, it was vibrant, it was exciting. Energy was off the charts. I will say this. Camden Yards for Game 1 of the DS this year was pretty good. Globe Life Field for Game 1 of, actually Game 3 of the DS, after the Rangers finally returned home from their two-week road trip, pretty good. Minute Maid Park over the years, really good. So, while Citizens Bank Park stands alone, some of those others are right up there with them. I want to thank everyone for listening and watching, for liking and subscribing. You know where to find us on YouTube, on Apple, on Spotify. The schedule in the postseason for the show, as I've told you before, it remains in flux. It's dependent on the postseason schedule and where I am traveling to, where I'm going to be. So just stay with me, follow me on Twitter, and I will announce when the show is going to be. Thanks, everyone.
Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.